this is Steve DeYoung on the Prairie Farm Podcast. In 1964, there was a television show that came out called Flipper. And today we have not only my dad, Carol Hawksburn, but we've got a good friend and fellow conservationist, uh, Steve DeYoung, who also goes by the name Flipper. Flipper. Yeah. Okay. So we don't have to, we don't want to tell everyone the story uh, every time, but just, just once tell what what's the story with that? Um, in uh, 1966, my mother bought uh, a flipper t-shirt that I wore to school, and I just started in a, a new school in the Pella Community District, and instead of remembering my name, I became Flipper because I wore that t-shirt. That's how it all started. Man, still can, can you uh, Can you describe for us again, Steve, what you referred to Flipper as? A dolphin, a porpoise, La- lassie of the sea. Wasn't that what you said? <laughs> Fast as lightning. Fast as lightning. Man, I wish I could remember that. I, well, yeah. hey, you could always we could always pull we it could up. Always Google it. Yeah, <laughs> might be the theme song on this episode. Of- so I think uh, still around that community of Palo, they more people know him as Flipper. Yeah, they, they do. <laughs> and they do Steve DeYoung. Yeah, they, there's people. Steve DeYoung. Oh yeah, Flipper. Flipper. Okay. So well, he has a brother that's also little flipper. Little flipper First inherited the name too. <laughs> Is he younger than you? Or yeah, okay. Oh man, that's wild. So it in Pella, where where we are, uh, is a neighboring town. DeYoung, very popular name. So Steve DeYoung, there's got to be other Steve DeYoungs, right? In Pella, do you know any others? If there's another Carol well, Hawksburg, yeah, yeah, there was. There's got to be another. Uh, I think he went to. Didn't he go Christian to Pella Christian? Huh, I don't know. Well, anyway, the reason why I know there was another Steve DeYoung, uh, uh, one of the county deputies came to my house one day. To, <laughs> oh, to, no. Oh, you haven't. Uh, I'm here to, I'm supposed to find Steve DeYoung and issue uh, this summons because the other Steve DeYoung had not been paying his rent in Ooh. <laughs> That is some dirt. Uh, Sorry, so. Steve. <laughs> right. thank, thank heavens I was on my good behavior that day when he stopped yeah. by. Man, in, in, in Pella and in the neighboring Dutch community, everyone knows everyone, and you have to actually work at not marrying your cousin. Uh, you got to make sure, and, and we call that Dutch bingo. It's called Dutch bingo. Everyone knows everyone. In fact, my... Uh, uh, I think it's like my twice great aunt has a giant book of everyone that they're related to. Uh, and it's an it important is, book. Yeah, it is a very important book, <laughs> yeah, but the gene pool depends on it, man. But anyway, the, I digress. The reason we invited Steve to join us today is because not only is he a friend of all conservation everywhere, but you've been doing Organic farming for quite a while. I did organic farming for uh, up until 2010. I did it from uh, 1998 to 2010. And what got you into that? Uh, Money. (laughs) (laughs) I heard it. And it it was good money. It was good money if... But you stopped. Well, because of the weeds. The weeds are the biggest downfall. Yeah. But things have really changed in that they've really come up with some good... Good ways to control weeds. Uh, there's a 
gentleman that farms uh, south of, just south of New Sharon by the name of John Gumont, who has really taken off on it. And he has purchased what they call a roller crimper. Mm, and, I've seen uh, those, yeah. that. Uh, I, I need to get over there and see how he did. But anyway, uh, this roller crimper, if you let uh, your cover crop, it's mostly rye, if you let your cover crop of rye get to a certain stage, and they call it the boot stage, mm-hmm. where it's just about, it's where the plant changes uh, the dynamic from growing to starting to uh, getting the seed, then you go in and roller crimp it. And so what it does is it has ridges on it, so it crimps the stem of the rye as it rolls it down, so the the rye will not grow anymore. So if you would do that too early, it would reboot. It would reboot, yeah. And try to go ahead again if you hit that too early. Yeah. Hey, do me a favor real quick. Pull that microphone towards it a little bit. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) There we go. Um, Yeah, and so, uh, and then they they no-till into that. I see. So if you get a good, <clears throat> good layer over the uh, on the ground, it suppresses the weeds. So you're weeds. using rye as a mulch, as a but mulch. you you kill uh, you basically kill it a, off. And a weed suppressant is the right way to put it. Oh, that is super cool. So yeah, like, so if you're if you're listening to this, you're wondering what a roller crimper is. Think of like the big uh, asphalt rollers that you see on construction sites, and if you were to take one of those giant round roller wheels i guess you'd say and then like steve said put a bunch of metal ridges on that yep and it drags behind a tractor and you drag it over that vegetation that you're wanting to kill off by uh you know breaking the stem causing the plant to to die off but if you do that at the right stage either maybe right before you're going to plant or i've even seen it where guys will do this with like soybean fields you know, if usually in the the hunting world where they're putting in a food plot of some sort, they'll they'll have it at that point where the soybeans just just coming out of the ground, and it's you know it either doesn't get hit by the crimper or it's got enough spring to it that it it doesn't affect it, and uh, they use that then as a a no herbicide application to kill off that existing. Yes. So this vegetation. crimping goes between the machine and the ground, then uses the force. So it has to yeah, ride, they, ride over the ground to crimp it? Yeah, and uh, usually it'll be a a sealed tube okay. that, that you can put water in. Hmm. For weight? Hmm. For weight, then. Okay, so you get a good crimp. You get a good crimp. What have you sheared? I mean, will it drag out? Oh, out? that's a good question. I don't know. You shear it, it off. Know, as tough as a rye plant. Yeah, I don't, that's right. You're starting to toughen up at that stage. It does. But uh, yeah, the, the the ones that I've seen have like it's a three quarter inch wide by about a two inch depth that is welded onto that tube at and they weld it on by angles mm-hmm. so that it it rolls smoothly then because you you're always otherwise it'd be choppy. It'd be choppy. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes sense. Hmm. So, with, what kind of things were you growing organic? Just I was corn growing and beans? soybeans, uh, corn, uh, oats, barley. Barley. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, dairy farmers like barley because it has a little more protein to it than oats. Uh, one year I did flax. 
that was a little bit of a I did it for the first time and I did not have a swather hmm. I, I had access I actually found a pickup head for a combine but the swather was the issue so it uh so you couldn't dry the product well you had a you couldn't yes you couldn't uh combine it straight out of direct cut because direct the cut, seed yeah, was too wet yeah right. so you needed to swath it and give it about two days in the in and, the swath and then shell it and then uh Pick it run it through the pickup head on the combine man so yeah um and flaxseed i you know i i think flaxseed has really taken off here again i think more and more people are um finding ways to use it in their diet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's a good fiber source is it yes okay i'm trying to think uh yeah there's a few other flaxseed oil i feel yeah, like i was gonna say i think that flaxseed oil yeah pull oil out of Man. it yeah i won't lie that those mistakes sound very expensive how do you yeah well, do you that, was, that was all a part of it yeah farm? i mean granted you know the 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 premiums were higher mm-hmm. uh right now i think I want to say they're getting $12 a bushel now for organic corn. Wow. Mm. How I've do they eat there? That's almost twice what. Yeah, what, uh, it's almost twice. Uh, I've heard upwards of $35 for food-grade soybeans now. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's... Back to weed control, Steve. Uh, I talked to one guy who was talking about uh, giving these weeds electrical charge to to fry or kill. Oh, yeah, Nick, yes. I sent you that. The guy yeah. up in Minnesota. So you heard about that. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure it's kind of a dangerous outfit to run for electricity or whatever they're doing there. Yeah. Generator. I, I, um, like, generates electricity off of the PTO. Is that I correct? I don't know. That's a good question. That one, I... Uh, I thought it had a big battery. I don't remember what the power source is, but... It, it, you basically have these booms that reach out, yeah. kind of surround the tractor. And you, they're going down rows. So and Nick, you're you, similar. You're wiping the, the weeds that are above. Yeah, the, yeah. Nick's yeah. talked about this on a podcast before. Yeah. With, There's yep. a gentleman named Brett Morris who's out uh, a little ways from us. And he, when I was out at his field, actually, his neighbor was doing it once. They were. It was like a big box was the one I saw, basically. And it uh, sat on the front of uh, the tractor like a loader and then they drove it over the over the weeds okay but i don't how did you get rid of weeds uh rotary hoe cultivate something called a tine weeder and then uh had some boys I, <laughs> walking beans oh man. yeah I, yep. but you know the thing about it is is when we were growing up carol oh yeah i, I mean we, we walked, walked beans i mean they didn't always the the spray Yes, when they sprayed, it wasn't uh, wasn't glyphosate, so it was sometimes it was hit and miss. It was a lot of pre-emergence back then, you yeah. know, when we walked, where you had to double incorporate a product like Treflon or or Prowl today, where you have to really work it in. Sometimes the hmm. soil conditions were either too wet, you couldn't yes. get that uh, chemical to work good. You couldn't get it mixed in the soil real good. So and when it, was glyphosate introduced or for anyone listening that doesn't know roundup basically well i think uh, roundup come out in the early 80s 
Was it done already? Well, that's how I killed out some of my first cow pasture to convert to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a high product then about what it is today here in you know, wow. 2020. But it was like a you know $100 a gallon when it first came out. Mm. And you had wow. to put a cord on, and that was, you know, that's a big money, 25 bucks an acre. Yeah, back then it was. Yeah. Yeah. So and then after that, you know, they started getting Roundup Ready soybeans, and then it went, led to corn and and that's when we start having, you know, resistant problems. Yes. And that's where we are in today. You know, and I don't know if those resistant weeds are affect uh, the organic guys because they don't use any chemicals. So it yeah, doesn't really yeah. matter if it, they're resistant or not. Yeah. But, well, it, it just, you know, so I had, we had three years in a row from 2008 through 2010 where it was, it was really, it was wet. And yeah, being able to were. get in there, being able to get in with uh, the rotary hoe and the cultivator in a timely fashion was not working. And what happened was is that uh, as I kept, as the weeds kept coming on in the crop, the next crop you had to you had to deal with the weeds again. You and but you couldn't the premium for oats or for uh, barley wasn't as good as corn or soybeans so yes you, so you weren't to, using that in your rotation then. well i was but not you, you know you kind of do a five-year rotation okay and so yeah that uh and at that time i did not have uh cows which the hay i i actually what hay i did raise uh a few years i uh <clears throat> did in big squares and uh uh, and or, organic dairies would buy it. Uh, uh, there was a gentleman over in uh, North Carolina, northwest of Raleigh, who bought semi a couple of semi loads mm, from me. He couldn't. So I it. mean, you know, trucking wise, I, yeah. I'm sitting there going, I hate to think how much he paid for trucking, but um, had the opportunity to go visit him one year. Mm. Uh, that was very interesting. But yes. Uh, yeah, so getting back to the the wet stuff. So, uh, what when I went back to conventional farming, I've gone with uh, conventional corn and Roundup Ready soybeans to break up that weed cycle because of mm. the different types of uh, weed control I can use. Because yeah. I I think the issues that are people are experiencing is because they use Roundup every year yeah. right mm-hmm. why don't dad why don't you explain how we use beans to transition fields how do we at yeah. hoxie here well usually it usually comes from a you know a soybean field or not a soybean but a, a wildflower field that's quick, slows down in its production and then in order to clean it up i'll go to roundup ready soybeans for a okay. couple of years yeah and that also gets rid of uh, some of the volunteer wildflower seeds that are in there. But still, you know, those wildflower seeds that drop over the years when it was in production, uh, a lot of them lay dormant oh, in, in, in that soil till you get another stirring in it. So I kind of like to, you know, put it in a wildflower field for maybe three years. If it, production goes down and we go to soybeans for a couple. And if I could work a oats 
thing in there, it'd be an even better crop. But then go back to the same variety of flower seeds that I had been mm. growing there. In case mm. there is any volunteer, yeah, wouldn't be much competition. But otherwise, you know, for example, we got black-eyed Susan and we're trying to hoe out uh, sweet black-eyed Susan, you know, which is different in heights, but but it's uh, it can be a, a invasive if it's not black-eyed Susan field. Anything, any other wildflower in there is considered foreign material right mm-hmm. because you're, you're, yeah we are targeting decide, one yeah, species you're, you're <laughs> raising up yeah. so one, going one back to uh you know uh organic farming so a lot of guys when some of the first 10 year soil con- or 10 yes. year ground come out of production farmers were allowed to till it up and get certified as organic. So maybe Steve, you can tell us what it takes to be organic. How do you get certified to be organic, or what's the past history of that particular field? Yeah, there's still this way where um, if uh, it needs to have three years of no uh, no chemicals. Okay. Do they come and follow up on that? When, Most when you apply, agencies do. They're they're pretty. They're they take pretty, soil tests yeah, and stuff like that. Well, they don't do soil tests. They they take your word for it. And yeah, yeah. I I I'm sure there's. Oh, I'm sure there always is. There's one person. That, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> but so, how would you take a a ten year ground and put it into? Uh, well, yeah. Then you, you just go right into it. So you would plow it the first year and go to what corn um, beans? What would? Yes, how would you clean I, it up? Um, and how the would first, you get rid of it? The first time was plowing it. And I guess a lot of the first fields were bromed in, too. It's not yeah. so much prairie anymore. Yeah. Um, the second time I used uh, what you call a, uh, a disc chisel and then just a okay. kind of pulverized the so ground, you, unfortunately. But the yeah. ground was brome or old prairie ground? It was brome. I think you're right. Yeah. Probably. Most, you know, the... Yeah, a lot of when when was it they really started pushing prairie grass in the mid nineties? Well, late nineties, yeah, two thousand, yeah. Because I know uh, any new contracts needed yeah. to have uh, we, native yeah. species in it because we reseeded uh, with switchgrass. Okay, hmm. uh, but yeah, kill. Brong is so hard to kill. Oh, it is. It's, well, it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of yield are you getting? Like, if you take out of a 10-year contract, I feel like the yield on corn or beans the next year well, would be crazy. The soybeans on this one field came back. They, I don't know how it worked out, but we had great weed control. Uh, actually had over 50 bushel an acre. As organic beans? Yeah. Wow. But that wasn't always the norm, you know. Yeah. Uh, something was just right that year that it made it all work. That's the right way to put it. What's the norm? 35 to 40? Ah, uh, 40 on soybeans. Okay. Corn, depending on uh, your source of fertilizer, you can get 150 bushel an acre on organic corn. Hmm. Uh, if you've got a source of hog manure, um, and then also around here there's uh, chicken manure because the 
uh, at Malcolm. Malcolm. And okay. then in Fremont, Iowa, there's uh, uh, there's seven ha- laying houses down there. Malcolm's got, what, 20? So, Steve, what's the pros and cons of organic versus tillage, whether it's conservation or whether it's soil loss or, or, or time? You it, know, it, it all takes more time to farm because you're doing more trips rather yes. than versus a, versus a straight glyphosate program you know and well if if you this with this roller crimper right but i'm talking old ground old ground coming in out of crp going into so guys can get in right away into organic yes and some of those ground is highly erodible where they're you know really can't take those kind of tilt tillage anyway but i can understand where the crimping works when you going back from corn beans once you've got the the sod busted whether it's brome or prairie well you know and i'm not gonna yeah we can't you can't be talking uh uh yeah seven to ten percent slope you're you're starting to get pretty yeah (laughs) there's a reason why that ground went in yeah um, mm-hmm. but you'd be surprised if at that first year at how well that ground holds. Right. Because, because of, the, of the sod that was there. The organic, the humus in yes, the soil yes. that has been built. And out. yes, you, uh, you need to try and minimize the trips across the field. Uh, that's why I went more with, uh, a disc chisel mm-hmm. and then used, uh, now, you know, these days you could have the, uh, uh, what do you call it? A soil finisher that mm-hmm. has the, the disc blades on the front. Right. And, uh, that kind of brings the residue to the surface. A right. Bit. And, but, and, and, and it, what it, what that also does is, uh, decreases the passes across the field because the more you make a pass with that heavy tillage equipment, the more, you loosen that dirt up. You want to try right. and keep as much of the organic matter on top. Right. Um, then there's, yeah, rotary hoeing. If you can go in and rotary hoe, you'd be amazed at how much you can really take out uh, weeds. I. So let me ask you this, Steve. You talk about rotary hoe, and then you talk about crimping. And how do you rotary hoe a field that's been crimped with all that residue? You don't. That's what. That's yeah. then that's out of the picture. Yeah. But yeah, rotary hoeing after tillage is the right way. Oh to do yeah, it. okay. This is all uh, post tillage. Okay. Because um, uh, there were some people who put together. You take, you took brackets and put two fifteen foot rotary hoes. So you uh, take a bracket, put a second rotary hoe behind the first one. So then, then uh, you'd space it so you, your spacing between the wheels was only an inch and a half. Between uh, the whole the spike teeth of the yeah. hole. Yeah. So that's getting a lot of fluff in the yeah, ground. Getting, yeah, a lot of tearing out of the weeds. Roots. Because if you had that bean plant or that corn plant should have enough of a root system that you would not tear it out. But the weeds are right. just, they're kind of laying on top. They're, they're just starting. Well, I think my dad had me back in the early days when we used to do tillage and raise corn beans. He'd have me 
hold it one direction and get the field done, then you reverse your axe yes. yeah. and do it the other direction. The I thought principle. it was crazy, yes. but I just got it done. But he says, yeah, that'll loosen it up. And after he showed me what it did to the soil, it did take out more weeds at the first application. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called, but when I was in middle school, you had, for a garden, you had this, like, push thing. It had one giant wheel on the front, and then it just oh, had, like, yeah. a rectangular blade. And it basically skims the surface of the, you know what I'm talking about? Well, it's an old push potato or an old push garden plow. I think so. But yeah. it had like a little rectangular <laughs> yeah. weeder. And That's it was when just, you pretend yeah. you weren't big enough to push it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was big. Well, I didn't yeah. know. It took me a while to figure out you weren't supposed to like dig it into the ground. So was, I was digging it like six inches into the ground. Trying to, but apparently you're just supposed to skim the surface and get all those smaller weeds. So some of it. those old push plows for the garden you know had some of them had a plow shovel and some had kind of a cultivator spike yeah cane. That's but this particular said. thing had a uh kind of like a knife where you go just underneath the surface and yes. you would cut the roots yeah. off yeah. yeah and it worked off a point first with the blades coming back so you can just kind of skim mm-hmm. through yeah. it yeah um so and back to organics it's interesting there's a place called rodale institute which is based in uh, Pennsylvania. And one of, one of their research endeavors, and they're the ones who really, I'm not saying they invented this crimper, but they really did a lot of research on it. And so what they did, and, uh, and it proved to be very, it worked well, was is that they used a three-point uh system on the front of the tractor so they would put that roller crimper on the front and then pull a six row planter that had really good i mean it was a no-till planter and pull that right behind it so they only made one pass that was it was it but rodale institute is very good for information about anybody that's thinking about organic they're They've got a wealth of information that can be had on it. So through my early days of no-till farming, you know, I was kind of a big no-till farmer. Yeah, Before yeah. I got into the prairie, you know, and I was one of the innovators in pushing that. And I think, you know, me and Steve had some conservation or uh, some topics. We talked about uh, no-tilling first, too, and you were asking me questions about that. But I guess what I was going at there is uh, – so guys crimp this this rye cover crop, and then they plant right into it. Uh, you don't want it really sheared off then. You want that rye to be hanging on to the root system, don't you? Yes, yes. Because if you start shearing it off, it has a tendency to bulldoze or plow the residue yeah. ahead of your openers or so. And I guess another concern would be... Uh, when rye goes into that stage of you call budding, how tall is it? It's three foot tall, then, ain't it? Or two foot? At least two foot. And time being, that thing's been sucking a lot of moisture out of the ground. So how are guys getting along here, like in year uh, 2022 here with the dry spring and dry? Right. I mean, it, it takes a bunch of moisture out of the soil. And is there enough moisture there to get the soybean up? You know what I'm yeah. talking about? I the mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's a little it's, Nick and talk there. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, you're, it's, uh, now I, I planted my conventional soybeans this year in standing rye. 
uh, that was uh, two to three foot tall uh-huh. and had no issues in it coming up. But, you know, we had just enough timely rain. Uh, you were concerned when you were planting it? Oh, yeah. You, I mean, you're always concerned about that. <laughs> if you I get mean, it in deep enough. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, but with planters these days and down pressure, mm-hmm. it, you're, you can get enough. You can get a pretty steady depth. In other words, you can't. Uh, an older planter would have a hard time trying right. to keep a uniform depth. Right. But uh, and ground speed, uh, you know, the travel yes. with the planter always makes yes. a difference. Gives the time to get the planter in the ground rather yeah. than to just roll over it and not get the seed deep enough to to get them up. But yeah, I'm sure it's it creates some new challenges out there with uh, cover crops. Yes, but uh, cover crops are uh, especially. Yeah, farming in uh, Mahaska, Marion County, with the rolling Kentucky soil. County. Yeah. I mean, we're we've got soils that they need some they need some loving. <laughs> and don't you think it's good to have something else growing there, a third crop versus you know just corn beans, corn beans. Yes. So, and what about when I see a lot of guys putting cover crops on corn stalks? And then they're going to beans the next year. Yes. To me, they should be putting cover crops on their bean ground, but they don't want to do it so bad because uh, they worry about killing the corn crop or they well, getting the rye killed or what. You know, I. So I. That, I have that, a was, hard, a, that was out there. That I, has been I, out there. I have a hard time understanding why there's so much corn stalks out there. Why do you need another cover crop growing well, to cover the ground when there's tons of. A corn residue. Yeah. But I understand the point where you get another break the cycle a little bit of in the soil and the root, different root system going in there and helping make uh, some more organic matter. Yes. The old adage, more is better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't see too many. I hope they get this crimping thing figured out. Sounds like it's a way to go. Yeah. They, rather than using more glyphosate to kill another. Well, that's what, just listening to this conversation, that's my my favorite part is the amount of creativity that has to go into it. You know, in, in, you know, ingenuity, innovative ideas, whatever you want to call it. It's not just so simple as going and buying a a chemical product, putting it down, put up your, put in your seed that's meant to handle the residue of that chemical in the soil. And then, you know, maybe a few more applications of fungicide, insecticide or whatever, or around a fertilizer and then it's harvest season and, you know, get it out of the ground, get it stored up. And, and that's your year. You know, there's, there's all this thinking and planning and boy, it's, you know, it's a really wet year, so I can't use that implement. I got to come up with a, a new one or, or maybe it's even as simple as going real old fashioned and getting somebody out in the field and walking beans again. And, and, uh, I think that, and even then, too, when you talked about the return on money for when, when it comes to market time, when you sell the organic crop, there's enough meat on the bone to support somebody on a smaller scale farm. Yes. And even bring on people who would like to be a part of, you know, agriculture working on a farm. Uh, maybe they don't live on a farm or have a farm of their own, but they can come walk beans for you and get a little 
you know, experience there being on a farm or, or whatever. It's something that gets more people. And to me, this is the bit, the most important part of, of pushing conversation, conversation, conservation is having more people that are actually connected to the ground, you know, having people that, that have, you know, uh, uh, some skin in the game, I guess you could say, they're going to be the, they're going to be the ones that care more about soil conservation, using cover crops and using them appropriately, like Carol's talking about. They're going to be the ones who are more concerned about water quality and air quality and and everything else because they've seen the bigger picture. But if if we're down to just you know one or two big farmers for several square miles right. are the big farmers going to mess with cover crops steve I, Do they you know some i'm talking people farm eight ten thousand acres you know are they going to mess with it i don't know they're rather in there as a business you know excuse the pun but wham bam i'm in and out and you know i'm next to the next field they don't really care about conservation because they're renting i mean they don't care about the soil yes they do they say they do but do they really? <laughs> well, yeah. And, uh, I, in Mahaska County, uh, there, there's a few of them that I, I mean, I know. Uh, uh, this one entity, they don't, they don't want to do it because they want to, uh, they want to get their crops in in April. Mm -hmm. right they They don't want to wait to say they don't want and they don't want to mess with spraying it yeah (laughs) well you've got a couple different kinds of farmers right you got farmers that work with the earth and then you've got farmers that bully the earth into what they want and a lot of and not always but a lot of times what they want is uh money so right it's a business you know and you know like i said they want to get in and get out and get to the next one they got acres to cover and they're not really so i'm not you know, what actually what we need is a lot more incentive for smaller people to do that. Maybe some cost share programs for guys who want to use cover crops. Granted, they got a little bit out there, but we need a little more out there for people who want to go into uh, the organics, you yeah. know? Well, and I, I, yeah, since, uh, yes, I am, I am a commissioner with the Mahas County Soil conservation. You got to be careful. I know. I'm laying it out there, boy. That's good. (laughs) But I will just say this: Uh, we have some people in uh, the soil conservation office that are really pushing cover crops. They're really trying to make a difference, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's starting to get interesting to see who some of these farmers are that are taking advantage of. Uh, the cost share uh, programs. Is there any clashing going on at this point then? No. There's no okay. clashing. You just either they do or they don't. <laughs> hey, gotta, There's a, a little n- conflict <laughs> gets some results sometimes. You know? and I, I'm not promoting yeah, conflict. out there with clubs, yeah. Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're pitchforks and torches. <laughs> Here, here's, here's something that I guess I, I was kind of getting at. And I, since you guys have been in agriculture, Pretty much your whole life, and Steve, we need to talk about your background too a little bit. I actually met I met Steve I met Steve about a year ago. We were uh, working at a conservation day, and he 
you worked in a career field for a long time that was totally different than agriculture, <laughs> and and uh, even uh, served our country as a as a marine, right? Uh, yeah, and, I was four wow. years in the Marine but, Corps, but but grew that. up grew up on a farm. We you all know. missed Flipper back those days. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, when you said we were talking about a, a party, I'm going well. That was probably when I. <laughs> I was I, I was either in Japan or North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> but but you guys have both been around agriculture in some way, shape, or form your your entire lives, and um, farming in that time frame has changed probably just as much as oh, it yeah. did from the guys who saw the first tractor roll out on a field. You know what right. I mean? Just yeah, to go from. Uh, there may have been a few guys around still using some horses for maybe mowing or or <laughs> pull, pulling cart. Don't, don't get us that old. <laughs> well, well, what's what's Back interesting in is 1890 yeah. when Flipper was born. <laughs> well, well, we had you know 200 acre farmers, 120 acre farmers, and you know. Oh yeah, small you couldn't farmers. make it on that. Yeah, how many how many farmers were there then compared to now? Oh, that's yeah, that'd be individual so farmers. Yeah, we've lost yeah. a lot of good farmers over the years. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of good conservationists who would practice, you know, those crop rotations. And, yeah, well, and, back then, yeah. And you, then they, they, them kind of guys could make, uh, a lot of them did. They, yeah. they could make organic work. Because mm-hmm. they, back then, yes. Yes, they could. Yeah. But they didn't because it wasn't really a demand for it till all these pesticides come out. And then they start really, hey, whoa, 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 we, yeah. need, we need something yeah. that's non- uh, more organic. Yeah, it's not going to make my hair fall out in, uh, right. in well, 15 it, years. It, and just just for a, uh, uh, FYI, um, uh, these gentlemen have decided to buy a WD that's sitting <laughs> out there. And I would love to see that three bottom plow behind it, though. Like Carol and I used to drive. (laughs) That's what I liked about Steve. He was an old Alice guy. (laughs) (laughs) He always talked about a D70 or D19. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, and uh, about when when we were about, uh, what, 10 years old, 12 years old, that's when they started coming out with tractor radios. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so you sat on that tractor all day long. Yeah. <laughs> now you got now you have GPS guided uh Listen to KIOA. Yeah. When I was thirteen, I never got the, the tractor with the radio. It was always broken. It just sat there, <laughs> dial, no light, no nothing, no AC, just Oh, you had a cab. Oh well, gee. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hey, those cabs, those cabs oh, he, get hot. Nick done a lot of pla- prairie platting for me. He yeah. followed me around the field many times. And, oh man. Man. That old well, 180. So you can and, sit there and go, yeah, I used to have to plant the seeds one at a time out of the. <laughs> the we did. We plant. I planted those plugs, man. We planted thousands and thousands of those one summer. I remember. Yeah, we drilled the holes. Oh man, yeah. We well, I was up oh, at, with a plug planter. Yeah, the plug planter. Oh, no, yeah. I wasn't around when you when you were drilled drilling the, hole. the holes. That sounds like a nightmare. No, we you had bought that big old plug planter. And, uh, so, so for reference people, some, some species are really hard to grow straight from seed. So what you do is you start them in a greenhouse, they get to about two inches tall and a little plug. And then you, then you, uh, use a machine to plant them, but it's not that much of a machine because you have to hand put them in the machine as the machine goes around. So it was me and a friend and we're just throwing them in frantically. 
And, uh, and, and not to mention, you know, you're starting at five 30, six in the morning, you're yeah. getting done at like seven at night. So we're trying to really, cause the conditions were good. It wasn't raining and it's a good time of year for it. But also before that we had to lay down tarp. You have to like lay down rows of tarp and that's its it own machine. Plastic mulch. And, yeah. 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 Interesting. Through. Yeah. And, and then we still use that. We still have one. You've got the drip tape that goes under the plastic mulching so that you can irrigate all of this stuff. What kind of species would you... Well, we're targeting mainly wet species or species... Okay, okay. ...that take... uh, Some of these wet species, they take... uh, You know, they need moisture, sunlight, and oxygen all at once to grow. So they basically need to be planted on the surface and they need all this stuff put on them to assimilate a wet area. Well, we can't do that, but you can do that in a greenhouse and get that started yeah. that way. Yep. And then they'll grow in a dry land situation once they're established. Yeah. You know, they might, you know, well, it's like fall down after a few years, but you know, it, it, so those are the species and maybe something uh, that we collected out of a, you know, a dry land prairie and we don't have many seeds of, and maybe we only got a handful. Right. We want to get them numbers up quick. So we have a better, uh, numbers survive by planting them in a greenhouse and rather if we would go out and try to just plant them on the on a row and waiting for rain to grow and to get them up and maybe not get one and lose that whole excuse me production so do you guys have a greenhouse yeah we have a little hoop building out here okay yeah Yeah. okay that's exciting stuff i've been trying to work with uh oskaloosa school district in mahaska county uh, or even with a couple other schools, their FFA program, say, hey, we'll get you trays and dirt and seed. Really? And you yeah. guys grow it for us and, and learn how to do it, and then we'll just take it back. What's been the response? Uh, yes, and then I don't know if I just need to hold their hand a little bit more. And, and Well, but, yeah. I mean, but, I yeah, they've all been – three different school uh, districts have been excited about it. And then – I mean, but also teaching is uh, – horrible job right now i can't imagine what they're having to deal with pandemic you know nobody there at school you know what's going to happen you know yeah get these who's going to come in and take care of the plugs you know yeah that's that's the big problem right and then the thing is is that school gets out in may if yeah well no we we plant plugs before that right or we well we we can't plant earlier but our biggest factor is we don't have a good enough greenhouse where we can hold our heat you know, during uh, January and February, you oh, know, where yes. these guys would have a little better greenhouses. Some of these schools yes. do where they can. Yeah. It takes a lot to hold your heat and, and it costs a lot. You, mm-hmm. you just need to hook up a direct line to some of those windmills around here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So for reference, right uh, just southeast of our farm, we've you know how many wind, windmills are out there? Uh, a few, <laughs> yeah, a hundred or so. A few dozen. <laughs> when did they put those up? Six years ago. Uh, I yeah, yeah. Five years ago. Yeah, six years six ago. Six years ago. Man, I I heard a story. There was a gentleman we sold pollinator to. So he was getting he was getting a CRP check, and then this company came in, wanted to put a windmill there. So they paid him all of his CRP acres yeah. for the rest of his contract. So he got that money. And then paid him for having the windmill on his yes. land. So and he actually, got I think they have to buy back the years. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he had, had to buy yeah. back. He had to buy back his years. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. But the the amount of mo- I don't know where all that money comes from. The money for <laughs> windmills, I I don't know what. Well, 
you know, you think about it, think of the, if you think about building a plant, think about the cost it is to build oh, yeah. a, a generating plant, yeah. whether it be coal fired or natural gas. So then you turn around, um, you know, there's somebody pushing, calculating, you know. Mm-hmm. So if we build all these windmills, what, how much cheaper or where, you know, is this cheaper than what uh, yeah. building a new plant is? And that's, yeah. So they, usually the budget is still pretty high because yeah. they have a lot of, way, they have a, a long ways to go before they're going to outspend building a new plant. That makes sense. Well, no. you know, and you think about it. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, Mid-American Energy is uh, uh, pretty much owned by Warren Buffett. So you can, you can imagine Warren Buffett made sure that uh, whatever he was doing was not going to lose money. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, I got I got some beef with American no, oh, there Energy we go. the other day. So I got these trees. I bought this house. It's a flipper, and there's these two huge. Yeah, but there are these two giant. What are they? Chinese elm or something? And, and they're yeah. huge, and they're right between this giant Mid American power line in our house. And so I call, and and I, nobody, I could find no one to come cut these trees down. They were all like, yeah, no, it's too close. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they did, because they, they're, they're big power lines that go out of town. Yeah. So they're not just small in-town power lines. And the finally find one guy. He quotes me almost $10,000. Yeah, and I so I it. call Mid-American. I'm like, hey, you got to do something about these trees. So they come. And the lady says, hey, we're going to come out Tuesday. We're going to cut them down. Is it all right if we leave the branches there? And I, no. <laughs> no, it is not okay. Well... You know, sometimes the guys just, uh, I cut her off. I was like, you're just kindly letting me know they're not going to take them, aren't you? She said, yeah, they're not going to take them. They're going to leave them there. I was like, great. <laughs> and then I think about 10 <laughs> days later, I got a police, uh, I got a, a police thing that said, hey, you need to move the sticks off your, off your yard. So my wife and I spent a full day and a half moving big old, huge tree branches and cutting them all up and bringing them to the dump. And, and, uh, but yeah, so I, heavily looked into some solar panels after that because I was just bitter with <laughs> Minimary, but it turns out they're not that cheap. So I guess we'll just That's be sticking. the hard work is, you know, picking them up and shove them in a processor or yeah. a chipper and get them chipped up. Well, uh, uh, good old Alan Leopold said, firewood war- warms you twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so cutting it and uh, <laughs> burning it. Well, I brought yeah. it out to the dump, and apparently, I guess the dump in, it's in Marion County. It... Uh, yeah, it, it's like 600 acres. And what they do is they open up like 10 acres at a time. They'll spend like five years. What they, they build like a big cement uh, building, basically a big container, cement container. And they dump stuff in there for a few years and then they cover it up. And then they take all that organic stuff they get and they mulch it down really hard. And they put it over top. And then they try and grow some things. I tried to sell them some prairie because I figured it'd be good for the soil over those dumps. Good but idea. I know. That's what I thought. But they love their lawn grass, which I guess is better. They love oh. mowing it every every two weeks. Well, week, yeah. And that's, that's all old. That's all coal mine that they're going in there. Really? Well, it's that's no different than County. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah. I'm surprised they weren't uh, didn't jump on the prairie grass. That's surprising. I don't know. I I, I want to try and talk to the boss. I just talked to the two front front yeah, desk don't, ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We've been pushed also with like buffalo grass for lawns. That's getting popular, and people are finding out that 
one, you don't have to mow if you don't want to. But two, if you do want to mow it, you only have to mow it every two weeks. That was the best part of mowing our lawn growing up is that I only had to muffle, uh, mow the buffalo grass every other time I mowed. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> one thing bad about buffalo grass, it takes full, needs full sun. Yeah. So you can't have any shade I'll trees. Shade, yeah. yeah. It doesn't do well underneath there. And uh, yeah. There's also also a bit of a concern when you go to do your spring burning, right? Well, I told uh, Kent about that. He thought somebody ought to have that up around their yard, right up to their house. And said, yeah, <laughs> you live out in the prairie, and you got this buffalo grass growing right up to your house. And, <laughs> and a it good too point. doesn't have a very early green up, and you're you're going to look. And if the yeah. fire got away, it'd be right up against your house. Yeah. So it's good to have a little green buffer strip there. Mm-hmm. of yard grass so. well i think what, what they're doing is they're taking they're miss they're mixing fescue with buffalo grass and blue grama is kind of the thing so it's it's still got a rich green but it's more native and it takes yeah. as less it's got better root system and man man well this has been fun, guys. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to talk about prairie or anything? Yeah. Just, yeah, <laughs> just organic. <laughs> organic. Oh, oh, man. Is that for the next podcast? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. When are you coming back? For the <laughs> oh, man. Maybe this winter. That'd yeah. That's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, you're I, I, I could I could talk about the prairie petunia. I'll do some more research. Do some more on research it. on yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> See if I can get you guys to grow it in the greenhouse. Yeah, you, you got a greenhouse yourself. <laughs> it's a lot of manpower to yeah, grow stuff yeah, in the ground. Yeah, I remember yeah. in eighth grade, don't tell mom. I remember in eighth grade, I would take the old van down the gravel roads to this greenhouse. We well, used you're to old rent. enough to drive. What the heck? You're in the he country. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was 12. <laughs> you can see over the steering wheel. Yeah, you can yeah. Or through the steering wheel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> through the top. Oh, man. But yeah, I'd go. And I'd spend like an hour, twice a day. I'd go out there in the morning, I'd water it, and then I'd have to go back in the evening and water it again. And but I had a radio that time. That, that was nice. So I was, <laughs> I had a, your, your childhood chores. based on whether you had a radio or yeah. not. Yeah. Right? Oh, man. It made all the difference. It made yeah. all the difference. I personally don't use a radio that much. <laughs> I don't know how you, that's... On a tractor all day, I can go out there, you know, and I think about, you know, how to, you know, what I'm doing and, and about prairies and how do I need to modify this piece of equipment, you know? Yeah. And one of my best ideas was come up with this Hoxie native grass planter. Oh, yeah. That you can use out in the field as a three-point prairie planter. And then, you know, you can come and get it, it the... with an end transport. And I got a friend who's getting and some. And Steve has used that, and we've got a good testimony yeah. from him. That thing works well. Well, I like the looks of the new ones out there. You like that Vermeer yellow? Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> Try to base it off Vermeer. Yeah. Maybe Vermeer like wants Vermeer to manufacture yellow. it for us. <laughs> and we'll just sell it. Sell the idea to Vermeer. I don't know. I I was telling a friend the other day he's buying crp from us and uh he was like so do i need to like rent a trailer come and pick up that i was like no you just pick it up with a pickup and he he like couldn't get it in his brain how that looked he was like he was thinking at first you put it in the bed and he's like oh it's real small and i was like no you you pull it and he's like wouldn't it be too wide he just didn't get but it goes (laughs) parallel down the in transport nick in transport in transport transport. (laughs) in on the end yeah and and yeah. <laughs> by and transport in transport ten and a half foot. Ten and a half foot. Yeah. 
You know, I've got a I got a can of AC orange spray paint in the back of my pickup. Oh. <laughs> no, I was thinking we should do the lime hoxie green. You know, you would never miss those. It'd be the first piece of equipment you, you know, saw. You know, our our lime hoxie green's probably pretty close to Steiger. You know, the old Steiger. Oh, there we go. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Stagger yeah. or, you know, the center, old, uh, center pivot Deutsche tractors. Green. What yeah. was it for a little few years there? What were uh, the green ones for Aco? They were Deutsch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Deutsch yeah. 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 Man. <laughs> so. The good old days. Yeah. yeah. So that's days. why, you know, I, you know, don't listen to radio all the time. And I think but, about but he that. listens to his podcast. Oh, yeah. On yeah, the track. Yeah, yeah, tractors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's always, always <laughs> making sure Ken and I are, know what we're talking about. On yeah. Put on a night and I fall asleep. When I was in, when I was in Bible college, one of the, one of the main teachers of this Bible college is a guy named Bill Johnson. He had a bunch of stuff on YouTube and I would listen to his stuff when I would fall asleep. Cause he's got a really nice soothing voice. Well, I didn't know this. But I was teaching my brain to know that when I'm listening to him, I start falling asleep. Fall asleep so I, in the class. So I, I couldn't figure out. I was like, why am I so tired all the time? It's only when this guy's speaking. Yeah, not good. Oh, man. Well, Steve, Flipper, I really appreciate you coming on and, well, and hanging you, out with I us today. I appreciate it, Carol. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate yeah. you coming out. Your sure. interest in today. prairie and conservation is it's near yeah. to our heart too, and yeah. it's near to yours. Well, and uh, I, I, I'm going to pursue this prairie petunia thing, and, and <laughs> right, man, it, yeah. it, it, it expand your uh, species selection is what I would like. That's hey, what we, we need love more it. species <laughs> to I keep think we track of. Just have a little uh, <laughs> flipper. Hoxie branch out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we Start go. Production for us. You could go Petunia. back to your hand hoeing. It would be great. Walking rows. Organic. Organic. <laughs> Man, that sounds uh, like a great idea. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. being on here. I hope uh, anybody that's listening to this enjoyed uh, our uh, banter. Oh, no, oh, yeah. it, was a, it was a great yep. time. Kent? You want to take us out? Yeah. Uh, thank you for tuning into this one. We had a great time here with a great friend of Hoxie, someone who's been here uh, really since the beginning. You can actually see Steve in a video with the Hoxie Cedar, the Hoxie Drill, as designed by Carol. Um, if you go to our YouTube channel, Hoxie, just type in the search bar, Hoxie Native Seeds, and you'll find a video there where... Uh, we get a look at some of Steve's prairie that he used our seed and our cedar to plant. And uh, you get to hear him and Carol talk about the strengths of, of that planter as well. And uh, if you think you could use one or maybe your uh, county conservation office or whoever, be sure to look us up. Otherwise, you can go to theprairiefarm.com and you can uh, see articles and order seed that you need for your yard or your maybe you got something bigger maybe you got a farm or maybe you have some uh crp acres that need to be uh, replanted whatever it is you can find it there at the prairiefarm.com or if you just got that little patch that's okay too because conservation happens one yard at a time nice. <laughs>